Hello and welcome to the Psychomedia podcast. I am Timothy Swan. And I'm Ben Fell. And together we're going to be discussing the funny side of psychology. Or in fact, once again, past Tim and past Ben are going to be discussing the funny side of psychology. We're just faffing around at the beginning. Yep, although faffing in a highly efficient manner. Yes. So, feedback. Time limit. Yes, feedback. Oh, well, this week we're going to be discussing animals some more from last week. Yes, animals part three. Horses and badgers. You can't beat a bit of horses and badgers. Yeah. Oh, I love a bit of horse and badger. It sounds like a Cockney rhyming slang. I'm not sure what for. Nothing really rhymes with badger as far as I'm aware. Uh, I'm badgering for the bus. Badger baiting waiting. Okay. I was thinking like horse and badger cadger, maybe. Like a skinflint who's constantly getting cigarettes off you, even though you don't have any cigarettes. It's amazing how they do it. Yeah. They reach into your ear and suddenly cigarette. (laughs) Never seem to have any of their own. You really are getting into your kind of stand-up flow there. Oh, I'm uh, sorry. I've, I'm contextualised. I'm going to be doing stand-up this week. That's not a thing that's happened yet. And there may be a video, so, you know, I'm not going to do that too much. Next week, on our anniversary exciting special episode... Oh, yeah. I'd forgotten that that was coming up. We'll have to go out and... You forgot some- my anniversary! <laughs> <laughs> I forgot our anniversary. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yes, I suppose well, I it's probably because of all that infidelity you've been up to. <laughs> yeah, our relationship is certainly a rocky one. Uh, <laughs> Let's talk about feedback. Back uh, yeah, feeding. back feeding indeed. I have That's some feedback fun. this week from Amanda. Thank you, Amanda. Uh, on the uh, animals part two. Uh, sorry, animals. Why did you call it animals part two? It's clearly animals. Did animal- no, we did animals. Part oh, I see. So it's animal part two alpha. The real squirrel, shady bracket squirrel. Oh, no, no, I was just thinking that it's animals part two, and then this week is animals part three. Oh, fair enough. Say about two minutes ago. Mm, yeah sure well i wasn't listening clearly well i know i'm (laughs) used to that anyway back feeding amanda says uh you guys were just talking about musk we were indeed talking about musk and you don't know what patchouli is i now know what patchouli is i don't know how to pronounce patchouli uh it's perfume and apparently hippies like it this is true um because you then smelt some hippies no because i then went on the same wikipedia page that amanda links about patchouli fair enough um she goes on to say, and about the many uses of the Ron Jeremy song a couple of podcasts ago, a couple of podcasts ago, <laughs> <laughs> every uh, week, forever and anon, uh, I laughed my ass off when I heard that. And I don't think <laughs> I love the way you anglicized that. Well, <laughs> arse, it's pronounced arse. You're supposed to pronounce the R uh, when I heard that I and I don't think my mum's that up to date yet. So I can see her listening to it a year from now and not even realizing who Ben was talking about. Ha ha. Because yes. we have all of these listeners called Amanda. <laughs> well, now you know that she, now, she'll realise when she listens yeah. to this episode, Amanda. Yes, you, well, Amanda. No, we almost got away with it. <laughs> almost, almost got away with it. Anyway, uh, also, notice I'm writing this comment here. I have noticed that you're writing this comment here. I'm reading it. Um, on the Psychomedia website, because apparently you guys aren't internet famous yet. So, you know, just trying to help. Well, Amanda, thank you. We appreciate your attempts to make us internet famous. Uh, so, yeah. Thank I was going to say, as feet. my friend Maxi says... If any of you want to help, you know, be neat, retweet. That is true. Or start horrendous, like, flame war arguments on it. Because that, that, we've already established that that is our criterion for becoming internet famous. Well, I think that's a criterion that was passed down to me by Peter Fenzel of overthinking it. Right. If people aren't shouting you uh, you on the internet, then you haven't made it yet. <laughs> um, 
Yes, Indeed. thinking of be- trying to become internet famous, Helen Arnie, who we uh, featured her podcast and live show last week, she retweeted our thingy and said, that sounds excellent, we'll take a proper look when I'm not travelling slash living in a bag. She's touring, she's not just like, you know, huh. trying to be uh, like uh, that uh, philosopher, is it Diogenes? Lived in a barrel? Quite possibly. Uh, it's, uh, it's almost a foreshadowing of something that's going to happen later in the show. What, what, um, what do you call the uh, DNA of... Actually, no, it, it wasn't... Uh, <laughs> it wasn't... He, he wasn't in a barrel and it wasn't Diogenes. He was in a bottle. It was Aristotle. <laughs> uh, uh, I can't think of a way of getting to plate... Oh, from there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's all <laughs> the lived crockery, on a, basically. Lived on a plate. Plato, yeah, yeah. Uh, hmm. Oh, there was uh, the, the guy who lived in in, uh, in a sock. Sophocles, Sophocles. Are, are you thinking? Oh, what Sophocles, the playwright, isn't it? So- yeah, uh, I just Socrates. Possibly, yeah. Socrates wrote, actually would have worked much better than Sophocles. I mean, then, then of course you. Not only did I not know whether he was a philosopher or a playwright, but I also didn't pick the best ancient Greek name for the joke. If, if you want to uh, call up someone and tell them about this, you could use Xenophon. Um, <laughs> um, trying to think of any others. Uh, what's his face? Uh, I mean, if anyone, I mean, I suppose what you put on a Plato is a uh, Pythagoras. <laughs> yes, exactly. Do you get the feeling Monty Python might have done this joke? Uh, I think Andy Zaltzman's done this joke. <laughs> so did you notice? Did you notice that in last week's episodes, when I made like a small run of fish puns, it was then immediately followed on the, that week's bugle by Andy Zaltzman doing like fifty-eight fish puns. The, the the man has you beat numerically, if nothing else. Well, I'd like to think that I, I would call that plagiarism. <laughs> <laughs> oh. There's a dream there, <laughs> a dream that we would love to live. Um, yeah, being plagiarised by the bugle. So yes, uh, thank, thank, thank you, Helen Arnie. Um, I'm going to come see your show sometime. Hooray! Um, and I'm sure she'll listen to this and enjoy it. And then we'll be on her show, and then we'll be famous on the internet forever. Hooray! Uh, excellent. Well, what did you? Okay, do? so that's Fantasyland. What have we really done this week? <laughs> yes. What have you done this week, Tim? Uh, well, uh, I've basically just come off a 19-hour shift, so yeah. if I'm sounding hysterical, that's why. <laughs> um, not sounding too hysterical. I mean, no more than you usually right. are. <laughs> well, yeah, I know. My womb wanders all over. Your what? My womb. That's the <laughs> again, origin of again, I say, your what? <laughs> the origin of hysteria is a wandering womb. In order for me to be hysterical, I have to have a womb that wanders. In, presumably, a wandering womb. Anyway, uh, what I really did this week was I went to see Inception in the cinema because Ojin have been putting on a whole series of old films back on the big screen. So well done, Ojin. Hey, Tim, did you did you see that that uh, that TV show where uh, celebrity uh, pre pre birth fetuses? Uh, say all the things that they hate about being a pre-birth fetus and put them into a box. I can't figure this one out, so you're going to have to hit me. Womb 101? Who is it presented by? (laughs) Have you not seen Womb 101? No, I have. I'm just trying to think of a pun on either Paul Merton or Frank Skinner. (laughs) You could have responded to the awful pun before trying to extend it further. But uh, yeah, anyway. Sorry, you went to see Inception. That's a much more fruitful line. If you think about it, they put things on a thing and then if it goes into room 101, you pull a lever and it goes down a hole. 
and is bored. Realistically, what happens in Wu <laughs> All those bad ideas are then birthed into the world. So eventually they put themselves in Room 101 and that's how they're born. Yes. Yeah. It's got no bad form. You have to put yourself in as the final item. Because everyone knows that in the womb there's this lever that the baby pulls when it's ready. <laughs> it's not a lever, Tim. It's a cord. <laughs> a pull cord. <laughs> oh, it's funny because we're both men. Anyway. Uh, yeah, Inception in the cinema. Do you know what's great in the cinema? Inception. The sound is perfect. The visuals are perfect. The acting is perfect. It's such a good film. It may have, like, kicked its way to number one until Return of the Jedi comes out in cinemas in about three years' time. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And I haven't had the chance to see Crash again in the cinema, or indeed in the cinema in the first place, although I don't think it's going to gain in the same way. Oh, fair enough. Well, I'm, like, the one person who likes Crash. Uh, which Crash are we talking about? Uh, the 2000 and whatever, rather than... Not the David Cronenberg one, the Paul Haggis one. The one that everyone hates and thinks that Brokeback Mountain should have won instead. Is it the racist one? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I like that. I liked it. I thought it was good. I mean, not exactly subtle, but... Yeah, no, it's not supposed to be subtle. It's supposed to be bulletproof, invisible cloak is just the best scene Mm. in pretty much any film for me. Good. Excellent. Glad to Uh, hear it. Yeah, so yeah, that's what I've done this week. A movie. Can you guess what media of my media of the week is going to be? <laughs> well, we'll find out. What have you done this week, Ben? Uh, what have I done this week? Well, sort of two things, neither of which are hugely interesting. First of which, uh, well, I thought they were. Um, the first is I gave my first Oxford tutorial yesterday. Why you say that's interesting? I, I, it was interesting. And I gave my second Oxford tutorial today, both of which were very good. So thank you, Duma Tutorial. Topics? Was that social psychology? Yes. Uh, I said oh, both. What of, level? Uh, Sort of part one-ish, so second year undergrads. Okay, because we had all our tutorials in Trinity for social. These these were not uh, undergrads, they're like visiting students. Oh, okay, makes sense. I set them both... Some noobs and... uh... Yeah, exactly. They're both, uh, actually, both from like areas outside of psychology, which makes it very interesting. Oh, right, is one of them a medic? No, like really outside of psychology, like English and uh, conflict resolution. Conflict resolution has relation to your area of psychology, at least. This is true. Anyway, um, they learn in English. In English, they still think psychoanalysis is a thing. I mean, it is a thing. It's the only place where Freud still has any sway. <laughs> um, other than this podcast. Oh <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I, I set them both the roughly the same essay title, which was like, uh, "What is the contribution to so- of social psychology to our understanding of human behavior?" Which is a Awful, oh, evil essay title for people who've yeah. not really studied social psychology before. But they both not responded to it with a plomb. So, oh, well, uh, well done to them. Yeah. Was... Did you make them read it out? <laughs> Sadly, no. Because there's only one, one, only one of our tutors did that. Your supervisor. Yeah. And, yeah, I think that was more out of a kind of schadenfreude, a sadistic pleasure than any. It used to be that all of them did it, apparently, but mm, yeah. not anymore. No. Not the age of email submission. Maybe they'll be, you know, in the future, they'll just have them, like, I'll send me a podcast of your essay. (laughs) (laughs) I could do that. That would be interesting. Uh, Anyway, so that was fun. The other thing I did this week um, was, I did, so I thought this was a relatively minor thing that happened. But according to my girlfriend and Facebook, this was like news of the week. Uh, Okay, I I know what this is, but I was going to say, so you're engaged then. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently not. Uh, (laughs) This was, I managed to make a 
chocolate and brownie explode in the microwave. Oh, in the microwave? Well, yeah. that's not remarkable. Well, I thought... <laughs> I assumed you'd made one, you'd cooked it in the oven, you'd left it on the side, <laughs> and then it, like, took the timer had ticked down, and it had exploded. No, but this is the thing, like... It wasn't like on a metal plate or anything. It didn't have any wrapping on it. It was just a chocolate brownie on its own in a microwave for like 30 seconds. And I opened the microwave and just acrid white smoke just billowed out. And this strong smell of like burning metal. <laughs> yeah, it turned out that it was a uh, chock full of potassium. Well, this is the thing. Like, I t- Did you make like a banana brownie? Just such an intense <laughs> no. banana actually had the metal potassium as in it as far as i know i mean the girlfriend cooked them, baked them so you know who knows what went in there presumably some shrapnel of some kind but uh and the, the weird thing is i took the brownie out and all the smoke appeared to be billowing from one small circular patch on one side and interesting uh, yeah uh, but and the brownie was only sort of tepidly warm not burnt in any way Oh, that's interesting. There's a, there'll be like a physical reason for that due to that bit of the brownie must be made of something of a slightly different composition mm. with a higher heat absorption sort of thing going on. It was, it was. But what could possibly have such a high heat absorption? That's fascinating. No idea. I mean, it's not like breaking news because <laughs> well, it was in a microwave I mean, and the microwaves are designed to explode things. You say that, Tim, but in the context of this podcast, it is almost literally breaking news. Oh, I should have reshared your status update on the fan page then. Uh, but yeah, We're so, so close to 30. By the way, guys, facebook.com slash psychomedia. We only need two more fans. I'm sure there's two more of you out there. Um, yeah, so, but did, for, for some reason, this then became, you know, like a, a little minor meme amongst my friends or rather my girlfriend's friends and everyone i kept getting emails out of the blue from to be fair isn't everything a minor meme amongst your girlfriend's friends yeah that's true but i i I started getting emails from people who i haven't heard from in months suggesting like academic meetups and then brackets bs sorry to hear about the brownies it was (laughs) literally a guy i met in australia emailed me the contact details of a colleague of his from from the Netherlands who was going to be studying in UCL and wants to meet with me and he opened it with dear Ben just a quick thought if you want people to stop fretting about the exploding brownie you might want to put it in your profile it's not really relevant is it (laughs) anyway that's what I did this week tutorials and explosions sounds good to me it was So, media of the week. What is your media of the week, Ben? Uh, my media of the week is the exciting new game that's just been released by Bethesda and uh, published by Bethesda, um, developed by Arcane Studios, the guys who brought you uh, Dark Messiah of Might and Magic, which is an amazing game if you haven't played it. Um, it is a game where you have to systematically abuse and insult uh, geeks on the internet. Uh, you may have heard of it. It's called Dishonored. Dishonored, Dishonored. Dishonored. Oh, Dishonored, okay. Yeah, I couldn't okay. remember what the original <laughs> thing was. Yeah. I got confused when you said Bethesda. Right? The only thing I could think of was Hearthfire, which is like the most rubbish expansion pack to any game ever. In Skyrim, my The Sims. Yeah, it's pretty awful. Given you can already <laughs> do that through modding. Uh, yeah, anyway, so the get. Sorry, that was a catastrophically bad joke. Uh, the game is Dishonored. Uh, it is a sort of cross between the steampunk Victorian stylings of like games like Thief and uh, with a bit of um, Assassin's Creed and quite a lot of Deus Ex 
for that does sound like a good combo it is amazingly good the it's so it's set in a steampunk kind of steampunk version of of victorian london but uh, a city which its entire industry is based on whaling so you have these great big like steampunk whaling ships steaming down the thames with these huge whales hanging from them and uh the the storyline is you are the um uh the personal bodyguard of the empress and with absolutely no surprises whatsoever you return to the city within the first five uh five minutes to be uh summarily blamed for her assassination because you're the only one there trying to defend her and the disappearance of her daughter you're thrown in jail uh, escape with the help of the resistance and then have to assassinate your way back to justice basically using a combination of sort of steampunk gadgets uh, and strange eldritch kind of dark art style powers like stopping time and teleportation and the best thing about it is the it's extremely open in the way that you approach the levels. so this is kind of where the deus ex stuff comes in so and indeed in the use of the powers so f- one of the best examples that i've seen shown is with your stop time power if a guard shoots you you stop time as he's shooting you you then use your possession power to possess him walk him round in front of his bullets then unpause time and the bullets kill him it's like it's like basically does that happen in heroes with hero no it should have happened in the matrix and it didn't it was probably my least favorite thing about the first matrix film the bit at the end where agent smith shoots neo spoilers um (laughs) and neo stops the bullets what should have happened is he should have taken the bullet out of the air and thrown it back at agent smith and killed him neo never does that like whenever he stops bullets he never sends them back whereas magneto Mm. magneto would have known exactly now i just want to see a battle between magneto and agent smith i bet there's fan art of that on the (laughs) internet um i've just got to hope it's a battle Mm. uh i should probably talk about my meter of the week you should and you should also get dishonored as should all of you people out there in the world okay then Mm. uh yeah this week i saw pixar's brave followed by not followed by preceded by the pixar short film la luna ah. la luna is probably the best pixar short film by some way she's saying something i know yeah mm-hmm. uh absolutely incredibly kind of designed a great little story very cute um i think a lot of depth to it given that it's only a short film mm. brave looks amazing yeah everyone says and actually to be fair i think that cars looks amazing but the story lets it down a bit mm um and some of the characters design maybe uh brave looks amazing has a good story really you know some great voice acting really weird seeing kelly mcdonald who for me like the touchstone for her is shallow grave (laughs) um so a pretty different film um so yeah i really thought it was good people have said oh it's not as good as toy story which is different like saying i don't know this this pile of money is not quite as good as that other slightly larger pile of money yeah okay that's an awful analogy but i i really like the animation i really like the story i think that a double bill of that with how to train your dragon which has a very similar sensibility would be just a great animated double bill yeah no i um the girlfriend has been to see it and absolutely loved it and i desperately want to and i'm sad that i may have missed the opportunity to see it in the cinema but we will definitely be getting that when it comes out Looking yeah. forward to it. Plus, you know, it's it's ginger power. That that is what that film is all well, about. You know, that that will, will be an element that well to be fair, her hair is about as messy and curly as mine, so I was just thinking, well, you know. Yeah. 
you can relate. We are Merida, Ben. That's what <laughs> it comes down with. We just need to get some Scottish in there somehow. If only that. Well, I'm a quarter Scottish. I feel like, yeah, I suppose there's probably it's not just, quite enough, is it? There's probably enough in both of our respective heritages eventually to combine. Anyway, anyway, should we yeah. should we let have them have some psychology? Have now? some badges. We present to you. Unleash the badges of war. Unleash the badger horse. That's a zebra, basically, isn't it? <laughs> it's like a, with the stripes going the other way. Okay. You know, fattening rather than slimming stripes. Fat horses are hilarious. <laughs> Fat horses are indeed hilarious. This is why Shetland ponies are so angry. <laughs> okay, well, we'll see you on the other side. <laughs> uh, yep. The first study I'm going to talk about is not actually a specific study. It is a thing, a concept, a specifically a form of therapy which I discovered uh, a couple of weeks ago doing prep for one of the other episodes. It is called Equine Assisted Therapy, or EAT, and thus I am labelling this segment They EAT Horses, Don't They? Uh, which is a misquote of something else. Anyway. That is often how referential humour works, though, isn't it? It is, rather. So, uh, Equine Assisted Therapy. It's a really interesting approach, actually, and it is backed up by some degree of sound medical and psychological therapy. Um, the idea is that introducing a horse into a therapy environment can be beneficial for a number of reasons, depending on the um, disorder or disability that you're trying to therapize um, and the way in which you implement the horse into the environment. For example, you don't just put the horse in the round circle discussion and ask it to talk about its feelings. Um, horses are notably reticent in group settings they are and you know although it, it does sound fantastic when you go hello my name's ben and i'm an alcoholic and they're a room full of horses clap with their hooves um yeah presumably they don't really have problems with alcoholism because every time they go into bars they just get mocked <laughs> well it depends because because uh, they can get drunk on rotten apples like that one that got its head stuck in a tree that's a good point for so they're, of, the, they're, their alcoholism is so bad that they drink like just where you know alone in their houses there, or just on the streets there aren't there aren't many alcoholics who have sunk so low as slurping up the juice from rotten apples and then getting stuck in a tree that i know of <laughs> yeah uh anyway so carry on there are there are kind of there are three different ways oops there are three different broad types of equine assisted therapy depending on which focus on variously physiological and psychological aspects of um, dysfunctions uh, so the first is is called hippotherapy which is a fantastic name um, and somewhat misleading uh, and yeah, but for the non-greek speakers out there pretty confusing yes you've really got to blame the greeks for calling the hippopotamus the hippopotamus yes the seahorse or whatever it is. River horse. River horse. Seahorse is something different. Is it? <laughs> <laughs> anyway. For one thing, it's the hippocampus. It is the hippocampus. But for two things, uh, yeah, like a seahorse and a hippopotamus are quite different in size. Yeah. I, I, I'm yeah. just imagining I'm tiny, getting... tiny pregnant male hippopotamuses <laughs> swimming under the sea. It'd be quite difficult to tell because they're quite, you know, uh, no offence to hippopotamuses. I think they're beautiful creatures, but they're, you know, big around the midriff oh right you're saying you can't they can't you can't tell when they're pregnant yeah. rather than you can't tell male from female because i'm pretty sure i can't do that with seahorses either yeah. unless they've got like tiny tiny well, seahorses poking out of their pouch 
I always have tiny, tiny seahorses poking out of my pouch. Anyway. Put them back in the water, Ben. (laughs) We're getting distracted. So the first is hippotherapy, which is apparently funny. uh, And is this is the primarily physiological treatment for conditions like multiple sclerosis um, and various other things. It works on the idea that the motion, the biological motion of a horse's back when it moves, um, it can be directly translated to a human rider. So the if the rider has um, physical dysfunction or paralysis, they get a sensory motor experience that is relatively similar to normal human locomotion without having to kind of generate it themselves. And this apparently is oh, useful really in, uh, in kind of the very early stages of rehabilitation and, and getting back some degree of, of motor control. Uh, so I thought that was kind of fun. It's not very psychological, but it is kind of cool. Um, the second use of uh, equine-assisted therapy is more psychological. Um, and it's called, they call it, in one of the articles that I was reading, uh, remedial riding. So the idea is that this is much more to do with behavioral and social deficits um, in things like people with antisocial behavior, low self-esteem, or even quite extreme pathologies like schizophrenia. There, there have been observed therapeutic benefits from introducing a horse into the therapy environment. Um, okay. One of the theories behind this is that to successfully engage with a horse in any kind of situation, you you have to be sensitive to their emotional state and open with your own emotional state. You know, horses are naturally flight animals rather than fight animals. So if they sense any degree of uh, secrecy or obfuscation in a two-legged creature, their natural response will be, this is bad news, I'm going to run away. Um, so you have to be open, you have to be calm, collected, and careful around them. Um, now I'm just interested in like putting a psychopath in a paddock with a horse and seeing what happens. Well, this is what I was slightly... Yeah, am, I, am I a bad person for wanting to see that? Well, yes. I was slightly confused by this because in the review, one of the review articles I was looking at by, uh, where are we, um, by Paw, P-A-U-W, Jeanette Paw. Um, P-A-U-W-R, so close from being just P-A-W. Yes, uh, in 2000. So this is an article called Therapeutic Horseback Riding Studies, Problems Experienced by Research. And it's kind of a review, sort of not really meta-analysis. Um, one of She lists a bunch of studies that have, or instances where EAT has been used. And one of them, uh, by Scheidhacker et al, 91, uh, was on chronic schizophrenia patients. And the one of the variables measured was psychopathology. But I guess that doesn't mean psychopathy. That means psycho... Just the extent to which... Pathology of a psychological affected. nature. Yes. Yeah. I doubt it would have much... I, I feel like the concept of psychopathy isn't something that is very remedialized. Uh, In general, that seems to be what's thought um, for good or for ill. Yeah. Um, but no, I was just thinking, right, to do with the, like, openness. Because, I mean, like, a psychopath can lie coldly. They're not going to tense up when they're lying. Mm. So can a horse detect that? It would be interesting to find. Like, common sense would say, no, obviously not. Because the horse can detect people's emotions. Yeah. I wouldn't necessarily but what if the horses have study. like secret mind reading superpowers? Who even knows? Maybe they do. But you know, like in a psychological cold reading sense, not yeah, yeah, yeah. magic. Anyway, so uh, there's there's this aspect to it, the kind of 
emotional openness. There are other beneficial things. So, for example, with uh, antisocial behavior cases, the fact that horses are much larger and much stronger than humans means that it's been reported that when, you know, kind of ASBO cases are introduced to horses, the aggressive and uh, sort of dominant aspects of their bearing kind of go out the window very rapidly because there's it, you can't intimidate can't a horse. I mean, you can intimidate a horse, but not. It's harder to. It's much harder. This is why police horses work so well, or one of the reasons why police horses work so well. Um, because if you try and stab a horse, it will break your skull. Um, plus, they have like armor on and a cool. To be fair, I'm pretty sure that happens if you try and stab a police officer. True, but. Or try and express yourself it's democratically. Not like a, it's not an eight. <laughs> Sorry, I don't mean to be so aggressively anti police on that one. Yes, I mean, it's analogous to trying to stab an eight foot tall police officer with four arms with rocks on the end and <laughs> sharp teeth that has another smaller police officer on its back with a shield and a bat. <laughs> so you're saying all horses are Robocop? No, they're, they're Equocop. Yeah, okay, fine. Sufficient, sufficiently um, kind of etymological for me. <laughs> that one's passed the, the tin test. Uh, yep. Okay, cool. So, Sorry, I keep interrupting you. Horses used in therapy... It's okay, you wait till I get to the bit where I stop actually focusing on the facts. Um... Yes, horses, wonderful, useful, they have um, beneficial effects. There's a third sort of strain of EAT, which kind of combines both the physiological and the psychological treatment, which is for, uh, it's called, they call it riding for the disabled, and it's kind of more focusing on uh, uh, equestrian activities as sports uh, and kind of an independent activity for people with conditions like cerebral palsy, where, you know, it's it's something that they can work on, which has lots of associated benefits in lots of areas. Uh, well, like that amazing person at the Paralympics, the cerebral palsy equestrian dressage woman. Yeah, you see exactly. Her? Just incredible. Yeah. Um, so this is this is great. They're, and the the logic behind it seems pretty sound. And the at least the reports from therapists and patients and families is very positive. There's, they report great success of EAT in the instances where it's been used, which is not many, but a, a significant, small but significant number. The problem is that in this review that I mentioned, it would appear that this uh, subjective response is not entirely matched by the objective analysis of symptoms, which is a pity. It may, it's probably something to do with the low sample sizes, the lack of control groups. It's quite... It's quite hard to do a sort of full double-blind placebo study with horses. <laughs> yes. I mean, we gave half <laughs> the participants... <laughs> exactly. Half of the participants interacted with a real horse. The other half act interacted with two experimental confederates dressed as horses. I mean, what they who responded do... in a belligerent and unhelpful manner. What they tend to do with therapy is compare it with a waiting list, right? So you see some people straight away and you see some people in six months. So no one is denied therapy, but some people are delayed it. And you check the results at the end of the six months. And if the people on therapy are doing no better than the people who have just been on a waiting list, then the therapy isn't effective. Yeah. That's the standard thing for therapy. That would make sense. So I, I the recommendation from this article, which admittedly was, uh, let's see, um, in 2000. So it may be that since then more sort of 
reliable and carefully controlled statistical tests have been done on this and they may have more stuff but at the time of writing this it was statistically unverified but there were very positive noises coming out of the therapeutic community so i thought this was cool. i mean you know to an extent what does it matter if the people are getting something subjective out of it certainly apart from like from costs but maybe we should put in enough costs that people can have horses if they want them if they've got you know mental health or disabilities quite possibly quite that's my radical political statement today (laughs) take Mitt Romney's wife's horse and give it to someone who could benefit from it even if not scientifically objectively yes so someone who could benefit from it unlike the dressage team that it was on oh well (laughs) cool I was going to say aside from as a way of uh, offsetting tax (laughs) (laughs) uh so there we go. Uh, I thought it was an interesting area. I hadn't heard a bit before. I thought you, the listener, might be interested in it. However, uh, before we move on, there, the much of the information I got uh, about EAT came from uh, a paper by Fruin and Gardner in 2005 called New Age or Old Sage, a Review of Equine-Assisted Psychotherapy in the Australian Journal of Counseling Psychology. And... I wanted to spend a little bit of time with you and this article for a number of reasons. First off, it's it's not a particularly scientific article. It's written in a quite a flowery style, and it seems to me to be rather selling the concept of EAT rather than analysing it objectively. Um, but it's, it's a really good article to read. I really enjoyed reading it. Um, but it has a strange tendency... Uh, coupled with the flowery language. And this strange tendency I shall illustrate to you with a quote, an excerpt from the opening paragraph, which runs as follows. Uh, If you could imagine swelling orchestral music in the background, I didn't manage to find a free sample of swelling orchestral music. Tim, if you wanted to make some low swelling orchestral music, that might help. I don't think that my mouth can do that. Certainly not with this cold. Okay. It would just sound like dubstep again. (laughs) Uh, Yes. Well, so here is the excerpt. With flaring nostrils, long, flowing mane and tail, flying hooves drumming across the ground, horses represent strength and nobility, heroes and warriors, intense feelings and unbridled passions. With soft, nuzzling muzzle, velvet smooth coat and a tender eye, containment and liberation paradoxically present simultaneously. Brackets, Cole, nineteen ninety-two, Henderson, nineteen sixty-four, McCormick and McCormick, nineteen ninety-seven, and Taylor, two thousand and one. Which part of that paragraph is he citing? <laughs> right. <laughs> Setting aside the lyrical style and the fact that the author apparently has some difficulty with pluralization, what is? Why? Why is he? What part of that ode de cheval is requiring of scholarly evidence? Are there studies? which accurately assess the flaredness or otherwise of horses' nostrils. I don't know how you assess the nuzzliness of a muzzle or the tenderness of an eye. I can imagine that maybe they were like brain scans showing activation in areas associated with intense feeling and unbridled passion regions when you hear the sound of drumming hooves, maybe. But it, yeah, it seems incongruous. And the, this is not the only example in this article. So there are a, there are a couple of others. Uh, at one point he says... High qualifications do not impact upon the response of the horse to your presence. Brackets, Vidrino in Smith and Faulkner, 2002. That is a study that I want to read. And if it's not what it, sound like, it sounds like, 
which sadly it isn't, I want to run that study in the way that it should be run. I want to get a sample population of university professors and a control group of bin men and put them in a room with a horse and see what happens. You would kind of have to ask things like, I guess, dear participant on a scale of one to seven, how impressed did the horse seem by your level of academic achievement? Although, I guess to be completely... You mean that isn't already a standardised scale? I, I Probably. I, I think, though, you you know, to be completely thorough, you have to also ask, dear horse... I think it's the scale of horse impressiveness test or well, something. Or horse impressiveness test. You know, dear horse, how impressed were you by that man's qualifications? Please answer with one nay for not at all impressed, four nays for neither impressed nor I thought you had to get them to tap their foot when you want a horse to do numbers. Oh, maybe that is it. So it would be one tap, you know, between one and seven taps for <laughs> not at all impressed to extremely impressed. I mean, you know, I, I, I have some experience of horses. My mum has a couple of ponies. And based on that experience, I would hypothesize, my hypothesis would support the assertion of the review that unless the professors happen to have received their doctorates in polo mint development or treacle sandwich dynamics, it's unlikely that the horse is going to be impressed. Do horses like polos? Horses love polos and they also like treacle sandwiches. Well, the treacle sandwich thing made sense to me because it's just like sugar, sugar, sugar. Yeah. Presumably they prefer it on white to wholemeal. Sugar, sugar. Isn't that a Jesse J song? If it is, then I wasn't aware of it. Uh, yeah, I think it is. I think it's Jesse J's seminal track, Do It Like a Dude. Uh, seminal being a, 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 a perhaps appropriate word. That's the title. It's something like that anyway. something. I, th- I think that you're right. I'm worried that I know and you know. <laughs> so uh, moving on swiftly. Uh, but yeah, they do like polos because they, they just like mints, I think. Um, okay, that's, you know. I don't know really anything about horses. I'm not sure if it's interested specific- in animals is, you know, relatively low, although I've really enjoyed doing this episode. It's a good, like, not, animals are great. Who, who doesn't like animals? Anyway, I think, yes, with horses, it's mints. I don't think that the hole in the centre of the polo specifically attracts them, but it's a large mint, so they don't get it lost in their teeth. I've seen a horse trying to eat a Tic Tac once, and that was... Their, their faces are just too big to deal with Tic Tacs. They get lost in all the, all, the, all the teeth and the tongue and the chops, and they can't find it, and it gets very upset. Um, anyway, right. the okay. final example is actually of this over-citation is actually quite dark. It reads thusly. Horses are vegetarians. They are not interested in eating people. Brackets Vidrine et al. 2002. <laughs> That is creepy. Did they actually dress part Human sacrifice to the horse gods. Exactly. Did they, like, dress participants in carrot costumes and put them in a room with a hungry horse? I mean, I I guess you probably could use, like, the same questionnaire measures. Mr. Horse, look at this picture of popular movie personality Danny Dyer and tell us on a scale of one to seven how much you would like to consume his flesh. I, think I would fight Danny Dyer. <laughs> well, uh, you know, you, you may well ask why Danny Dyer as this uh, experimental uh, experimental thing. Uh, do, do, you want, do you want to know why? I, I, I'm interested to know because I'm sure you have some kind of reason. Yeah, well, you know, you should know from your classics that when it comes to flesh-eating horses, it's been established that Danny's flesh is the easiest to consume. You know, you remember the story of Hercules and the horses of Dyer Meat Ease? Wow, I'm impressed. Yeah, you should be. You I mean, should it's, be. It's not. It's not really a joke that you laugh at, but it's one that you acknowledge as as worthwhile. Yeah. So I I was proud of that one. Um, Let's hope we still have some classicists listening, despite <laughs> our butchery of Greek and Latin. Well, you know, 
incidentally thinking of butchery of Greek and Latin, I was looking up what the proper term was for what it seemed like the people writing that thing about ra- raging passions were. It's either equinosexual or hippophiliac. Ah, I see. If, depending on whether you prefer Greek or Latin. Okay. Well, anyway, um, there will be extensive photographic background in the show. Don't say that. Not for the, <laughs> the, not just the equophilia, said. for the horses consuming Danny Dyer. I spent a lot of time on Photoshop with good, a picture good. of topless Danny Dyer, which is something I never want to repeat again. Anyway, to be, I, I think, you know, if you wanted to test this, to be absolutely sure, you would need a full double-blind placebo experiment because this is, you know, the most ecologically valid so you feed, get some horses and you either feed them human flesh or a controlled substance, presumably chicken, and Pork. then you <laughs> you either tell them that they are eating people or that they're not eating people and, you know, see what their uh, deliciousness ratings are. You see, what I assumed you were going to do is you have them either eat Danny Dyer <laughs> or you have them eat Mark Kermo doing his Danny Dyer impression. Oh, Danny Dyer, Exactly. Uh, that impression may recur in the outro, depending on <laughs> how well I get on with the lyrics. Uh, anyway. um, but you know, I yeah, I did I did spend quite a lot of time photoshopping Danny Dyer's face onto ancient depictions of Diomedes horses uh, during Great. during the just uh, some positive things did come out of this. A the pictures, which you'll see in the show notes, and B during the disturbing time that I meant spent making those photoshops i say disturbing it was about 10 minutes but as i previously mentioned <laughs> any amount of time spent painstaking painstakingly cropping around a topless photo of danny dyer is disturbing but during that time for rest reasons best kept myself i ended up watching a bunch of videos of greco-roman wrestling um right well uh, you know the the actual reason was that i thought i might be able to put together a, a montage video set to gangnam style so you could sing the chorus greco-roman style <laughs> greco-roman style and i was convinced that i'd be able to find a clip of a greco-roman wrestler adopting the horse stance from the gangnam style video whilst like flipping a man um i didn't but it turns out greco-roman wrestling is really impressive like really impressive um, I missed all of it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna put a video in the show notes which shows a guy leaping from the edge of the ring, swinging himself round the other person's neck, then like flipping over behind him and smacking the guy like over. It's difficult to describe, but it is very impressive. Anyway, you'll see it all in the show notes. Hooray! Um, finally, honestly, the uh, actually no, that's a lie. There's at least three more things about this. The first is. When I was looking for uh, images of horse, uh, Diomedes horses eating people, I discovered that there is a book, an actual book with like words and pages and everything, a book called Deadly Equines, the shocking true story of meat-eating and murderous horses. <laughs> I will link it in the show notes. It is, looks uh, astonishing and wonderful, and you should read it. Let me see if I can find it. Where are we? Deadly Equines. There is a widespread belief in a warm and comforting story which states that the horse is a gentle herbivore. What if a Rosetta Stone had been found to unlock the dark secrets of the horse's past? Yeah. Are you saying we can talk to horses now? And when you talk to a horse, whenever it's saying, nay, it's going, hmm, you look yummy. Well, I'm not sure. Because... You know, with, uh, with uh, fava beans and a nice Chianti. <laughs> I'm just not well, it, psychopath. It today. would be I'll less the first episode of the new Dexter, and <laughs> it would be less and more. 
oh, I wonder if there's a Photoshop of a horse wearing the mask. <laughs> oh, I'll get right on it. I will get right on it. Uh, so there we go. Uh, Sorry. Sorry to distract you, but you started it with your cannibal horses. Horseable Lecter. <laughs> Horseable Lecter. <laughs> uh, ladies and gentlemen, we have our episode title. <laughs> yes. So, Horseable Lecter. There we go. Um Further, further insights from this weird area of research that I ended up. Uh, I discovered in reading a paper by uh, Carol Fury, spelt oh, F-U-R-E-I-X. Sadly, no relation to Nick. F-U-R-E-I-X. That's like even better than spelling F-U-R-Y. It's like the uh, the French version of the French gender swapped version of the Avengers. Well, there's that, isn't there a song yet, song about Napoleon? Like Boney was a warrior, A I X. And now you can sing Fury was a warrior. Um, yes, they. This is a study by Carol Fiore on and colleagues on the possible use of the horse as an animal model of depression. Right. Because apparently. Uh, a bit, a bit like the book on deadly equines is somewhat contradicting the rosy picture of horses painted by the EAT literature. Turns out they are man-eating depressives and possibly not ideally suited for therapy. Um, <laughs> I've met a few odd psychologists, but even so. <laughs> few man-eating depressives. Um, anyway. Not, not quite in the same sense. According to Fury, uh, domestic horses encounter chronic stress, including potential stress at work, which can induce behavioural disorders, e.g. apathy. Um, which is... Really sad, actually, uh, particularly when they go on to talk about the physical manifestations of a spontaneous expression of behavioural despair in horses. Um, well, they just they just become extremely passive and listless. And the reason that it's thought to uh, link with human depression is because there are things beyond the behavioural patterns. So, for example, uh, it, this. Uh, behavior is associated with lower blood cortisol levels and it's also more prevalent amongst female horses which Ah, that's weird it's like you know how pigs get anorexia yeah oh i know that's another like which analogous stuff it's yeah i mean it's it's which is really weird and interesting kind of anxiety disorders in animals which seems slightly incongruous but you know well the only time you think of anxiety behavior in animals at least for me is kind of in captivity depression in captivity you yeah. think well anyone locked up in something that's small and far away from home is going to be depressed it's not really a psychological condition in the sense of you know mental illness hmm. i mean this is this uh, depression is purely amongst domestic horses as far as they know um and it is obviously a, quite a small subset anyway uh that's quite a a downer, I thought. So, although I, I did wonder whether it's kind of annoying that EAT hasn't been tried on people with depression, because if it had, you could potentially start a centre running equine-assisted therapy for equines, or e, <laughs> which you might call eat e, e a t e e t. Never mind. Never mind. Um, anyway, that was all quite depressing. So I thought I'd end the segment on a happy note and tell a funny story Hooray. about my mum's horse Archie um, and the time that he one of the sheep who he used to share his paddock with tried to eat his tail. <laughs> uh, you know, he used to share a paddock with these two sheep for company. One was called Fat Sheep and the other one was called Slightly Less Fat Sheep. And uh, one morning my mum arrived at the field to Archie standing asleep by a hedge and as she watched, Fat Sheep approached Archie from behind and then attempted to take a large mouthful out of his tail. There's some sort of low-hanging frond of a delicious shrub or something. Um, yeah. 
needless to say, Archie did not take too kindly to having his tail eaten by a sheep when he woke up soon after. And on that day, that sheep learned a valuable lesson about which end of a horse is the dangerous one. The answer being both ends. Both ends are dangerous <laughs> for different reasons. So the moral of this story is... But don't the sheep st- didn't, like, die. No, no, the sheep, just... sheep, the sheep was very fat. I'm not sure I can emphasize, the, emphasize this enough. The sheep was fine. Uh, and so you're saying if I want to survive a horse kicking me, I need to put on a bit more weight. Yes, you, you need to be. I mean, clearly from this, uh, kicking you is not the m- foremost of your concerns. <laughs> no, apparently being eaten is the worst and fattening myself up is only going to increase the... Exactly. It's, it's a horrible catch-22 situ- situation. <laughs> Horses! <laughs> So the moral of this story is don't try and eat a horse's tail. Use it to cure illness instead, the horse, not the tail. But be careful in case it actually wants to eat you, particularly if you're Danny Dyer. Right. That's some interesting scientific conclusions there. Yes, it is. Sorry, I, 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 very little of that was actually about EAT. But uh, Well, you know, this is what... Right, no, that's that. Do you know even know what noise a badger makes? We're going to start by talking about badgers. Um, of course, I know what noise a badger makes. It makes the following noise: a badger, 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 uh, two of which come from the zoology department at the University of Oxford, who shared a building with us. And I've written in here a note to remind me that, Ben, tell me about your first experience of the zoology department at Oxford. Do you remember this? Your first day at Oxford, basically. Uh, did it involve lobsters? It certainly did. It invo- So the, uh, the zoology canteen is better in many ways than the psychology canteen, although obviously feel a great deal of loyal pride. I was going to say, it's called Darwin's Cafe. Why isn't the psychology one called Freud's Cafe? (laughs) Because you just get a lot of sausage. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I already get quite a lot of sausage. Are baked beets a phallic or yonic symbol? It depends how you arrange them on your plate. I suppose so. Um, Anyway, yeah, the zoology cafe is called Darwin's and it has large tanks in the wall. Uh, containing assorted sea beasties, including some large purple lobsters, yeah. which is wonderful. And they're great. Uh, I uh, had a meeting with a, an American transfer student the other day, and I was telling her about the lobsters in Darwin's cafe. And she immediately uh, in her mind went to apparently in America, you know, the big, the like claw machines you get in arcades. Yeah. They have those for lobsters. And I was imme- I, I was immediately confused. I was like, "What? So there's a lobster on a robot arm that you lower down and grabs things?" And she w- looked at me with this look that said, "I am losing um, any sense of authority that you may have as a supervisor, um, because apparently it's just a claw that picks up lobsters, which seems unnecessary." I was cool. just thinking, it's like horrifying. This like seven year old, "Daddy, Daddy, let's play the claw arm." Okay, claw arm comes in and just drops a lobster in your lap, and you're like, "Ah!" It's a lobster. It's clawing me. It's getting its revenge. I clawed it. Now it's clawed me. I clawed uh, it. Yeah, doing I it on all of us now. I clawed it. Anyway, right. <laughs> yes, uh, good. Well, we thought of exactly the same thing. I love it when that happens. What are you talking about? Badgers. <laughs> yeah, who would have guessed? But no, th- this is by the zoology department. So we've probably seen these people in real life and not realised it. Okay. So, hierarchy. 
doesn't just exist in the primates, as we know from wolves and stuff. Everyone knows wolves are at the bottom of the pile. Football joke. Uh, in order for there to be a hierarchy, there must be dominance. Easy. And that's defined in this study as... Dominance is an attribute of the pattern of repeated agonistic, again, aggressive uh, interaction between two individuals characterized by a consistent outcome in favor of the same dyad member and a default yielding response of its opponent rather than escalation. Uh, so, yeah, uh, you can choose if ethological dominance occurs between myself and Ben. Um, apparently, hierarchies can be yeah. described by linearity and steepness. Linearity means the extent to which the interactions go in the same direction, whereas steepness is the difference in social rank. Size or age are usually good determinants of social dominance. Dominance is found in hyenas, patas monkeys, male capybaras. Female capybaras are all strict Marxist-Leninists, and so don't. <laughs> uh, in both genders, but separately in mountain goats. Oh, I see. So he carried... That seems overly specific animal choices. Yeah, it's, I think it's due for what's been studied rather than where it exists. Um, so it turns out that badger behaviour is more interesting and varied than many animals, depending on where they live. British badgers tend to live in groups, whereas European badgers, that is the same Mellas Mellas species but located in continental Europe, tend to live in pairs. And at the point of this study, no empirical proof of dominant hierarchies in badgers had been found. I don't think it had been looked for either. So, they stuck some infrared cameras in Witham Woods in Oxfordshire, which is about five kilometres northwest of Oxford. So you could go there and pretend to be a badger, Ben. Uh, I could. I regularly do. Ah. Uh, yeah. It's called yeah. badger baiting. <laughs> it isn't actually funny, because badger baiting is awful. Yeah. Um, well, these anyway. guys don't bait badgers. They do other things to them. <laughs> and they monitored dyad interaction. They also picked up a bit of dryad interaction, since tree spirits can only be seen in infrared. Uh, <laughs> Do you reckon I could find that on the internet, like a conspiracy that's like, I took an infrared picture of a tree. Look, there is the dryad spirit. Well, I don't know. I, I did see a video earlier today of a tank that can make itself invisible to infrared, but can Was also... An Israeli tank. <laughs> is that a deep joke that I don't get? No, it's just usually when there's some amazing military technology, you think, oh, this is great. You know, it's going to be used for peace and justice. And then it turns <laughs> out an Israeli tank. Um, I mean, it was made by BAE, and at one point they demonstrated the the adaptability of the technology by having it display BAE in large fluorescent letters on the side. Yeah, somewhat undermined its stealth potential. I mean, what is BAE's slogan? It's like selling arms to all of the places still with dictatorships and giving some money back to the British government. Sometimes. I mean, I think it's a bit snappier than that, but yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I, I'm. <laughs> politics i should stay off politics i'm too bitter and i mean i know we all are but still yes get back to badgers yeah well yeah i'll get back to badgers I and mean, there's a little bit of politics later. Bringing it's, badgers okay. back. it's not especially yeah it's like the justin timberlake song i'm bringing badgers back you're gonna sing the whole thing ben you're gonna rewrite all the lyrics those other mr they don't know how to act what? It took me a while. Yeah. You know, to get was... lyric, lyrical parity of that level. Yeah. You know, it no. takes a bit of thinking. <laughs> our, our shields can't repel lyrical parody of that magnitude. <laughs> um, right. So, uh, they wanted to find out whether there were social hierarchies uh, in badgers, whether males have higher status as they do in most mammals, or indeed all other studied mammals, whether older badgers have higher status, 
that the high-ranking badgers then get mating privileges. Damn, you're the alpha male in here, aren't you, Ben? Uh, aggression decreases with increased relatedness, like the picket pins, uh, and whether those social hierarchies existed within year groups, because badgers stay in education all their lives. <laughs> Well, I mean, you know, they're basically, you can tell from their colouring that they're basically wearing subfusts. Oh, yes. Um, I, I mean, we, I'd just like to return to that point about our personal, you know, dominance hierarchy. I think, are we following the European badger model of pair mating rather than, like, group? I, I think, yes. I don't know what you're going for, whether you're trying to accrue some sort of harem. <laughs> no. But like in is it wolves where the alpha male and the alpha female meet and maybe the mate even uh, the the beta male and the beta female may be mate but maybe not because they might be kept from doing it by the alphas and then the omegas don't get any mating privileges whether male or female so there is kind of pairing up but it's within a social hierarchy. Okay. I guess funny. I was going for a wolf analogy. I thought ah. you were going to pick me up on the idea that I use the phrase mating privileges. I mean, come on. <laughs> I, I just thought it was such an utterly ridiculous conceit. Okay, fine. <laughs> anyway, so, filming was carried out at three social groups of European badgers within Witham Woods, Sunday's Hill, Pastix, and Pastix Outlier. Pastix Outlier was originally contained within Pastix. However, badger groups may undergo fission, and bait marking and traffic records show that Pastix and Pastix Outliers were separate stable groups by 2003. It says something about me that I can't see badger groups may undergo fission without imagining a nuclear badger. Nuclear badger is clearly a sidekick of Nitro Cougar. Oh yeah, of course. Uh, or indeed that bit in Guess I Got My Badger Back by Weeble, where, you know, they drop the mushroom bomb. Yes. Uh, so they trapped badgers four times a year, luring them in with peanuts and then injecting them with ketamine. So we're back to the beta <laughs> analogies here. These guys then got tattooed for ID oh, reasons God. while on the ketamine. And so they could then identify the badgers while they were on film, either using tattoos or by using a specific type of like unique trim that they trim their hair. So that remember, they unique... remember this, badger kids. Don't accept peanuts from strangers or you'll get tanked up on ketamine, tattooed and haircutted. Sounds like a, like a, a good weekend for me. To it be does honest. sound like a good weekend. <laughs> oh, man, I took... I took these peanuts and then and, and all this ketamine and I, when I woke up I had a tattoo and I chundered everywhere. <laughs> so yeah, uh, any conspiracy badges, it's pretty scary. You know, an alien authority of a higher intelligence stamps you and cuts your hair so that they can film you with infrared cameras, which weirdly badges can see and we can't. <laughs> anyway, they coded all of the dyadic behavior on film and analyzed it. Uh, so, another quote. Uh, only badges that were present and identifiable for the entire study period each year were included in the analyses. Any no... unmarked individuals, those that eluded trapping or whose clip mark was lost through molting, were excluded as they were all cubs. Oh, no, sorry, as all, were all cubs. One badger was seen infrequently at Pastix until early May 2004 and is thought to have subsequently died, while another individual, also from Pastix, was found dead in April 2005, and they launched a murder investigation. Uh, <laughs> Non-conformist rebel so, scum. They wouldn't look, they, these are the guys who have been feeding them ketamine and peanuts and tattooing them and cutting their hair. If anyone's going to be suspected in this murder investigation, it's likely to be them. Yeah, <laughs> you know... Um, Basically, yeah, there were some that managed to elude trapping and thus mess up the results. Um, I, I never knew that, like, the woods around Oxfordshire were the, like, raving house club scene of the Badger world. Yeah. Oh, there is a Weebles track called Badger Hard House. I haven't listened to that. We'll have to look that up. Um, 
Anyway, uh, so three of the six-year groups studied showed linear hierarchy, but two, P1995 and PO2004, did not. PO2005 did not have enough individuals, making it a rather rare vintage. Steepness was found in three of the five groups. The most linear was also the most steep, P2004. Its steepness was 0.63, where one is called despotism and zero is egalitarianism. Huh. So uh, pretty, pretty, you know, let's say uh, Putinist Russia. Uh, <laughs> while there was a hierarchy, female badgers had higher rank. In Soviet Russia, badger give ketamine to you. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, yeah, so yeah. I love the, I think, I think nuclear badger has to be Russian. <laughs> Yes, I suppose so. Nuclear badger, undergo fishing. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Um, So, uh, yeah, female badgers had a higher rank. The age of the badger did not impact rank. The relationship between rank and breeding status was not found, except in one group where it was thought to be a statistical anomaly. There was no significant relationship between relationship and aggression. I probably should have phrased that better. There was no significant correlation between correlation and aggression. Wait, no. (laughs) There was no significant correlation between relationship and aggression. Um, These hierarchies, most notably seen in the steepness results, were found at a time of breeding, and thus the time where hierarchy is most important. In our human civilization, we call it the US election season. And I would rather have a badger for president than Romney. Incidentally, it is racist to call Obama a badger. Um, It it is. Hang on. Are are you suggesting that mating increases during the uh, election system season? Well, it's because it's a time when everyone turns off their TVs and goes and does something else. Or is just utter, is convinced that the world is soon to be no more, and therefore they need to get in as much mating before it does so as possible. Well, I suppose, like, yeah, we talked about terror management theory it increases sex, <laughs> doesn't it? So, so. <laughs> you see Romney as potential president. You're like, right, he's going to bomb Iran. Let's uh, let's let's at least try and you know preserve the species all. via numbers. Uh. Sorry, where were we on that? Um, So they suggest the reason for the lack of social hierarchies found is the lack of observed interactions in some groups and the time taken for social groups to form. Matriarchal societies in mammals are rare. And previous research by the team suggests that this is due to the high energy cost of raising young for female badgers, meaning that female badgers are just kind of better. Basically, it's the end of men for badgers. You know, useless, emasculated... Children of badgers. Oh, yes, the children of badgers. But no, there's this new book called called The End of Men, you know, describing useless, emasculated, unemployed men, useful only for genetic material. Or as I call it, living the dream. Um, (laughs) You definitely don't call it that, but it was a nice... Yeah. It's a joke, Ben. You you know those things called jokes? (laughs) I think the series of puns earlier in the podcast suggests that I have absolutely no idea unlike the dog with the chemistry set <laughs> yep uh, so female female competition for mates is so high that 48 to 70 percent fail to breed and there's also an issue of extra group paternity and relations that were not analyzed in this study so promiscuity or as the article puts it the promiscuous mounting system which is a bad way to put up pictures <laughs> Uh, and sounds like they blame the complex situational stuff rather than the young badgers themselves. It leads to extra group paternity and a different sort of male-male competition that they can't really test in this observational study. So, their conclusions. A full understanding of the social system of the European badger remains incomplete. In this study, we've presented evidence of breeding female-led dominance in the vicinity of set entrances within badger social groups during the mating and cub-rearing season. 
I love the fact that they just go that specific. They don't go, right, let's generalize this. All badges are ran by women. <laughs> well done, guys. Um, it's possible that these hierarchies are context-dependent and not always present. It remains unclear what factors may promote dominance or what benefits costs individuals may receive because of their dominant status. The variation in patterns of social interactions observed between social groups suggests that dynamic approaches to future studies will be required. Essentially, badges may have all sorts of social groupings and aren't predictable, so let's hope that that saves them from the cull. Let's hope so. And if we're talking about badges, we probably should say, go vote against the cull. Yeah, I mean, sign a petition. You can't sign vote petition. against it because Do. we don't have direct democracy. No. So, um, yeah, I say so. Exactly. We'd end up with like if, if anything is with a working NHS, all the badges, but also the death penalty. Populism isn't always the right way. <laughs> it, it usually it's you who brings in the politics, but and if anything is going to make me make any sort of political statement, it's senselessly killing loads of badges. Funnily, I do care about the NHS more. Yeah, that's understandable. Think, it just I think it's about yeah. principle. It's about like the evidence says a badger call will make things worse, but because the pressure groups that will vote for them are saying kill, kill the badgers, they're going to kill the badgers. And it's like, well, if you're really interested in solving bovine TB, like do what the scientists have looked at when they've actually tried to do a badger call. Either you've got to kill all the badgers in one go, you know, or you've got to kill none of them and try and vaccinate them. Mm. Anyway, <laughs> any curds? <Let's laughs> any move. curds? Yes. Any kids listening uh, probably don't know what we're talking about. Anyway, um, welcome so, to the other side. Hello, it's the other side. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the the fat horses and the the, the complicated badgers, behooved badgers. They 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 are they are they have uh, what do you call them? Not trysts, cliques, cliques. Yeah, they they're like it's like. Um, uh, 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 what's the name of that film that should be awful but is actually good about high schools? Mean Girls. That's the one. Uh, yeah, it's the like janitor is her dad. It's How like be bad. It was written by Tina Fey, wasn't it? Isn't that the one that's written by Tina Fey? I know. I, uh, this is what I'm saying. It's like everything about the concept should be awful, but it's actually wonderful. So I hear. Um, it's I like that with badgers. Yes. Yeah. Basically, in that Lindsay Lohan often looks like one. <laughs> Harsh. Very harsh. Yeah, not very topical. <laughs> um, so, so there yes, we go. Yeah, uh, that's that's our definitely our thorough conclusions what's about this? animals. Um, if you'd like to contact the show, stuff? oh yeah, we should just do that. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, you go first then. Oh no, no, after you. I don't feel we have time to be polite here, but at Team Psychomedia on Twitter, follow slash tweet at etc. Uh, leave comments on the psychomedia.wordpress.com facebook.com slash psychomedia gives me statistics if I get two more fans so please I love statistics, statistics. nowadays uh, and uh, did you do the email or did you do Twitter I've I literally Twitter. wasn't listening no, that no. closely <laughs> okay so you can email us at uh, psychomediapodcast at gmail.com um, so uh, that's it uh, enjoy the outro <laughs> I know I did <laughs> Yes. Uh, and Danny, uh, I'm sorry. We, we will see you next week for a very special episode of Psychomedia. Bye for now. Bye. Huddle round our campfire neath the fallout ravaged trees, no shelter from the deadly acid rain. 
we murmur through our gas masks and all of us agree that Essex has gone down the drain. So we tell an epic tale that gives us reason to rejoice in a mighty hero from our history despite his tiny eyes and his irritating voice still triumphed over all adversity in times of darkness his deeds they do inspire no man was ever greater no stakes were ever higher he blazed a trail across the land with a soul that burned like fire and so we sing his mighty battle cry oh I, i'm daddy dyer battled across the land, facing monsters great and small, many foes arose to put him to the test. He faced them all, and even though he came out standing tall, his relevance to psychology was admittedly tenuous at best. Perhaps twas this that led to his eventual demise, the bittersweet conclusion to this ode. But I think it much more likely that his downfall was devised by his dark bequithed nemesis, Kermode. In times of darkness his deeds they do inspire, no man was ever greater, no stakes were ever higher, and though his awful acting oft invokes the critic's ire, we keep on chanting out his battle cry, I am Danny Dyer. Though I'm sad to say it, there's an end to every quest. Every life, however great, must run its course. And though Danny's life was great indeed, there is, I do confess, nothing great about being eaten by a horse. In times of darkness his deeds they do inspire. No man was ever greater, no stakes were ever higher. Ironic given his end in an evil equine friar. And so we sing his final dying words. Boy, I'm Danny D oh got a pig in my horse. But that's depressing, so instead we sing. Alright, I'm Danny Dial, Danny Dial, Danny Dial, oh Danny Dial, he never dies, never dies. And so we sing his mighty battle cry. Oh, I'm Danny Dyer. Danny Dyer.